regardless of where you're at on this spectrum, whether you are going to be a really successful person during this season or an utter failure during this season, our expectation that all of this is simply about being in the presence of Jesus. So this morning, I want to start there. I want to lay that foundation. So we go to Luke chapter 18, and I want us just to look at this story and explore it a little bit and and see how it might be helpful for us, how it might open our eyes, soften our hearts, uh, awaken us a little bit to the presence of Jesus among us. Verse 35. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. I think I, again, put something else up there because that's apparently what I do. Um, But you get the gist. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, because this is your lot if you're blind in the first century. Right, so, so in addition to the, the very real physical disability that this man had, in a, in a very physical, like, agricultural type of world where if you wanted to produce something, you couldn't sit down and code. You couldn't sit down and like, well, I have some ideas. Maybe someone else could jot these down for me. Like, you had to work with your hands to, like, craft and build something. When you can't see, like, that is an incredible disadvantage. But on top of that, in this world, in the first century of Judaism, there is a significant disadvantage because the assumption is is that you are blind because God is cursing you. That your blindness is God's rejection of you, usually because you have done something to deserve it. And so here is this blind man sitting on the side of the road, and all he can do in his blindness is beg. And maybe please, maybe someone could have some compassion on me and give me what I need. Verse 36, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. So he's he's sitting there like, I want us to sit in this man's shoes for a moment. He's sitting there by the side of the road and the noise is a little bit louder than usual. Maybe he hears some different voices than, than what he's used to hearing. He can maybe feel in the ground a little bit heavier of a vibration than what he normally feels, and he realizes, like, wait, something's happening. There's a crowd coming. Something is going on. And he's like, what's going on? In verse 37, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And if you're like this blind man, you've likely heard of this Jesus. This carpenter from Nazareth that in, in a couple towns over had, had healed a blind man that was kind of like you. And then in, in a different town, you had heard that, that maybe he had, had taken a, a young girl and raised her back from the dead. And still in a different town, he had taken someone who was born with like a deformed arm and caused their arm to be restored. This Jesus of Nazareth is now here. Like, I don't know how far he is. He's several feet from me, but he's, he's here. He's near me. Maybe, maybe he could hear me. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me because it's all that he can do. It's the only thing he has to offer is just to sit in his blindness and cry out and beg, Jesus, son of David, maybe, just maybe, you'll have mercy on me. Verse 39, those who were leading the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. That's a really polite way of saying, hey, shut up. (laughs) 
your neediness is distracting us from our spirituality. <laughs> right, okay, so for side, side note, hold on. Uh, that, that, is, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to your pastor who has a two-year-old in his life that he is constantly trying to both pastor and like pray and have spiritual life and sermon prep and think deeply about the things of God. And then all of a sudden, there's the two-year-old, very needy, very helpless, literally begging me. And can't you just go away? I'm doing the work of the Lord, right? <laughs> and those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And yet he shouted all the more. I've been begging you, crowd, for years, and you haven't given me anything. Maybe he can finally give me something. So he ignores the crowd, and he cries out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and hopes that he'll hear, and hopes that maybe he might just be as generous as the blind man had heard. This is his only chance only hope. He can't be quiet. And I imagine here at this point, right, if I'm the blind man, I'm sitting by the side of the road, all of a sudden, these people grab me. And I'm blind. I don't know what's going on. There's a commotion, and I'm, I'm suddenly being like physically picked up and moved, and I don't know where they're taking me. Maybe they're removing me from the situation. Maybe I've annoyed them enough. And then all of a sudden, I hear this voice saying, what do you want? It's Jesus. It's the son of David, the one I've cried out, hey, have mercy on me. And he says, what do you want? What do you want? This man had nothing. And physical and social disability that prevented him from experiencing the fullness of life, he was now standing before the creator, and the creator says, what do you want? And I ask you today, what do you want? Some of you were like, lunch, can we? <laughs> right, but this is really the question underneath all of the questions. This is the question underneath all of the behavior. This is the question underneath so much of what we're even doing here. What do you want? Are you lonely? Are you angry? Maybe you're unhappy, discontent. Maybe you thought your life was going to turn out different than this. Maybe you thought your spouse was going to be someone different than this. Um, for those of you that are single, if you ever do get married, just know whatever you think they are, they aren't. It, marriage is wonderful. It is beautiful. Um, but humans are messy. And so often, it's not their fault, so often we build up in our own imaginations what we think our spouse is or what they should be rather than just letting go and loving them as they are. More on this in just a second. Maybe your body has betrayed you like this blind man's. You have some sort of physical disability or mental disability that you feel like is holding you back, or maybe you're lost. You don't even know what you want. What do you want? I don't know. You tell me. I'm an Enneagram 9. I don't know what I want. 
I get a soft chuckle from all the Enneagram nines. That's quite appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're dissatisfied and unhappy and desperate for something and you can't quite place your finger on it. What do you want? And I want us to actually, like right now, in what apparently is a warm and muggy room, um, take a moment to examine your life. Because underneath so much of our behavior, so much of what we're giving our life to is this question of what do I want, whether we realize it or not, where are you hoping to find wholeness, happiness, joy? What are you turning to to cope with the stress and the pain and the suffering? I think there's two broad categories of this, right? Uh, probably maybe three, um, painting with some very broad brushes, which I tend to do. But I think we can hope to find wholeness and happiness and joy in achievement. And knowing uh, Redemption Church really well, I would say that this is probably captures a lot of us. Fairly successful, highly educated, upper middle class at least, Right, and I know that that's not everybody, right? But maybe, just maybe, that we think we're going to find our wholeness, our meaning, our wholest, truest self in the pursuit of dot, dot, dot. That education, that position, that title getting our practice to a certain size, a certain career or a certain partner or just a partner. Maybe we're living vicariously through our kids. This desire that's within us to make something of ourselves and of the world that we think in it, in this pursuit, in achieving something, we can find wholeness and happiness and meaning. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Yeah, I know that's not what that means, but. And we can easily fall into this really sneaky form of idolatry where we give our lives to something that's not God, expecting it to give us what only God can give us. Right? So our careers, our education, our tax bracket, our social standing, all of it can be mistaken for God. Right? Not in some sort of conscious thing where you build up a little idol, like you're, no one's sitting in their office, like worshiping their PhD or their dissertation, right? That's not how this works. And so much of this comes back to our, I'm just so busy. So busy chasing what? So much of this busyness is simply our giving our hearts and souls and affections and identities to these achievements or the pursuit of them. And we hope that these gods will bless us for our devotion and our worship of them with more money or more power or more prestige or more influence or whatever. And we read the Old Testament and we see Israel worshiping these idols, expecting these gods to do something for them. They're like, what morons! Why would they do that? That's so silly. Anyways, back to work, right? 
Or maybe we give our lives to distraction and we think that in distraction we're going to somehow find wholeness. That maybe if we just ignore it for long enough, it will somehow make all things better. So aside from achievement, we try to find our wholeness and our meaning and our truest self in distraction. And like, can we just start? I left mine over there, but I never leave it over there anywhere ever. That's just a true statement of me. But can we start with our phones? So I was like, I'm, I'm curious. What do we do? Like, how much on average do we touch our phones? Uh, research has been done. The average person spends two and a half hours a day on their phones. It's like, okay, I don't know. Two and a half hours, that's not too bad. That's a part-time job. You have a part-time job with your phone. And some of that's like legitimate. You're like talking to, I don't know, I'm texting my wife or answering the phone or checking emails, right? Some of it's legitimate. We touch our phones over 2,600 times per day. That comes to an average of tapping, swiping, or scrolling once every 30 seconds in a 24-hour period of time. And in this, we're looking at vacations and houses and trips and Amazon deals. (laughs) Finding Gabby sends me stuff all the time that I'm like, we don't need this. We, she's so I'm like telling on her. She's probably watching right now. I'm like, I hate you right now. She's texting me. I'm gonna touch my phone, do an angry text message. So we have like this trampoline that we, my brother-in-law got for Zoe. That's like we it cannot go in our backyard. So it was sitting in our living room for like two months. A trampoline in our living room. Like this is great. Living the American dream, trampoline in the living room. The trampoline has now been moved to the garage. It now takes up half of the garage. And she sends me like a gymnastics, like pole setup thing. Like, number one, who do you think our two-year-old is going to become, right? <laughs> if you're like, you're like clearly steering her in a certain direction. I'm like, hey, I, I like this. This is really great. Where is it going to go? She's like, oh, in the garage. Like, so the other half of the garage is now, um, right away. And I'm not hating on her. She says to me all the time, I always say no to everything, which is very true. Um, But we find these distractions, and it's through silly things that, like, we would have never thought to lose ourselves. Like, I'm not taking a trip to Bora Bora, but then Instagram tells me I need to take a trip to Bora Bora. And all of a sudden, like, wait, maybe I'm taking a trip to Bora Bora. I don't know. Or we look at houses that we'll never, ever buy because we can't, or places to live because Houston is a swamp in the worst sometimes. I love my city, y'all, but like, really, I just would like to go outside or inside and not just beat up with sweat. But distractions uh, can be like scrolling through TikTok, and we just all of a sudden we look down and like 20 minutes has gone by. It could be the pursuit of like experiences through traveling or vacations or just doing the next thing. What are we doing this weekend? What are we doing this weekend? What are we doing this weekend? Until all of a sudden you look back and your life is just a series of weekends and brunches and like, uh, oh crap, I'm 40 and wait, is this what I wanted? It's the next show or the next sporting event or the next show about the sporting event. And now I'm preaching to myself, by the way. Or maybe it's just the next meal, the next drink, the next escape into our phones. We can find wholeness and meaning and try to find life in distractions, right? This, I hope, is probably all of us. If not, y'all should really consider removing me as your pastor because so much of this is me. Now, this one's tricky, but this is the third one. Um, 
Maybe we're finding meaning and wholeness in family or a tribe or a place where we can feel like an insider. We can find meaning and wholeness in other people. If I could just get a spouse, if I could just have a kid, if I could just have another kid, if I could just live vicariously through my kids, if my kids were just different kids, right? Or maybe if I need uh, have more friends or different friends or friends that line up this way or that way politically or the right friends, or maybe I could go to a cool church, one with hip sayings like radically inclusive hope that like maybe one day the Virgin Mary might appear in one of the water stains in the ceiling. Okay, this is a cool place. You never know what's going to happen. And we can try to find ourselves in others, in our crowd, in our tribe. And I hope it's obvious, but let me say this very clearly. There is absolutely nothing wrong with achievement. There is nothing wrong with distraction. There is not, right, TikTok is fine. I'm not, this is not the pastor telling you, you better watch out, TikTok, devil's gonna possess your soul. And there's obviously nothing wrong with family. These are all good gifts. Uh, TikTok, I don't know, the jury's still out. But these are good gifts. The problem comes when we spend our lives seeing the gifts as God and then seeing Jesus as the gift. And we give our lives to the gods and then we're like, oh, thank you for Jesus for forgiving me, for giving my life to the gods. And Jesus is extending a real invitation. Will you let me be God and then you will see that everything is a gift. Everything is good and beautiful and meant for your enjoyment, but it cannot satisfy your soul. So our pursuit of achievement and distraction is so often a cover-up of some other deep hunger within each one of us. A void we're trying to fill and, right, and we can, I hope, obviously acknowledge that no one like, um, will ever say, like, the meaning of life is my PhD. Right? Maybe you feel like that right now because you're consumed with trying to, to get it. But, like, you're not going to be laying on your deathbed going, man, I wish I'd gotten one more PhD. I wish I'd just spent more time at work. I wish I'd become the president instead of just the vice president. What a crappy way to live, right? Right, and we know that. We hear that, and we're like, yeah, of course. But then, as we're in our, like, late 20s and early 30s, or maybe your 40s, I don't know, we, like, fight against that with every fiber of our being, and we pursue, and we pursue, and we pursue, and we pursue, And certainly no one says, I wish I'd watched more TikTok videos or binged more Netflix murder shows. If I'd just seen one more about Murdoch, then my soul would be satisfied. I just want to know, like, did he murder everybody? I don't know. The type of life that begins to meet our deepest longings will only ever be found in a life with Jesus. And we know this. 
We can feel it when we read the story of the blind man as we, as we enter into that story and there is Jesus saying, what do you want? Like our soul is crying out like, yes, like I don't know exactly how to say it, but that, I want that. I want to gaze into the face of the Messiah. I need that. So how can we begin to experience this type of life? The life that we were meant to live not like by getting rid of all of the busyness, because if you haven't realized it yet, that's just never, ever, ever going to happen, unless you just sell everything and go and live in a monastery. More power to you. How do we find wholeness and joy in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the pursuit, in the midst of the distraction, in the midst of the family, Look at what Jesus says to the blind man, verse 40. So Jesus stops and ordered that the man be brought to him, and so they carry him to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied, right, the most obvious answer ever. I don't know, I could go for brunch, right? And so Jesus says to him, oh, is that all? Receive your sight. It's actually way more profound than this. So the, there's an idiom that they're using here. There's like a, a figure of speech. And the figure of speech is, I want to look up. Hey, what do you want? I want to look up. Right? It's an idiom that's used all over the place to literally like look up, right? That's the not idiom. But it's also used for people who are blind. When they are not blind anymore, they're able to look up. And so he says, hey, what do you want? Say, I want to look up. This child, look up. I imagine in this moment, the first thing that this blind man sees is the gaze of Jesus. Jesus takes this man's head in his hands and he says, look up. With all of the warmth and compassion and love that only Jesus can have. This is translated as receive your sight, which is, fine, but one, it's passive, and Jesus isn't saying passive things here. He's not saying, hey, this is about to happen to you. He is commanding something, and the command is, look up, or at least, if you want to go with the idiom, see. Your faith has saved you, and immediately he looked up and followed Jesus giving glory to God, and when all the people saw it, they gave glory to God. I was struck by this this week. Um, This, I was telling Dana earlier that this passage kept coming back to my mind. Um, So yesterday in particular, I was pretty frustrated and angry, and I, I really can't tell you why. Like, it wasn't like, this thing happened. I'm angry about this thing. I'm just like, right, 40-year-old angst. I think there's a word for that somewhere. <laughs> but I like, just discontent at the fact that, like, my life is not what I would have wanted it to be. Like, the, the real struggle with the fact that my wife is struggling with a painful and chronic disability, 
the, the fact that my toddler is a toddler and I love her and I'm so thankful for her and like woke up this morning and just was like, like sad that I was just gonna have to leave her, right? So please hear me in the context of all of these things. But I was standing there in my backyard um, Gabby was in pain, and I'm sitting there with a, a screaming toddler, and I'm just like, it's my day off, right? It's stupid, like no reason to be frustrated, but just frustrated and just angry, like God, what in the heck, man? And I kept coming back to this story, and freaking Jesus, man. What are you so angry about, Brandon? What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. I'm just mad that I don't have it, (laughs) right? What do you want? I want wholeness, Jesus. I want wholeness for Gabby. I want wholeness for me. I want wholeness for this church. I want wholeness for this world. I want wholeness. I want to live the life that you're actually really inviting me into, and this just doesn't feel like it right now. Just look up. Just look up, Brandon. And so I did, quite quite literally, like I'm sitting in this chair, I was standing before, now I'm sitting. And I'm trying to like really process and pray through some of this, like I'm angry and I don't really know why I'm angry and that's probably not great. I should explore this a little bit and ask myself some hard questions and pray through some of this. And then the story, I'm like putting myself in it and realizing that Jesus is inviting me to look up and finally I look up and there's my daughter covered in mud, by the way. living her best life. And she's got the water hose and she's just spraying it up into the air and she's like, the water hose is the greatest thing in the world to her. She thinks it's fantastic. And the light is just like, you know, the morning sun's kind of shining and hitting the water and it's just sparkling. and, And I had this just like sudden realization of like, be still my soul. Know that I'm God. You look up and see that I've got you. You look up and see that there's beauty and there's goodness and there is delight to be had all around you. I know that things are hard. I know that things aren't working out the way you want them to. I know that you're stressed. I know that you're dissatisfied. I know that you're limited. And I know that you're just a human being. Will you just look up and see me? Suddenly I was able, at least for that moment, because it passed, (laughs) but for that moment I was able to look up into the lover of my soul and something sprang to life and the hardness of heart melted away and I realized like, oh, Jesus is really here. He's really caring for me. Even right now, even in this life, even in the messy dishes and lupus and toddlers and diapers that I forgot to take out of my wife's car that were poopy diapers, and I get in, and this morning, I'm like, okay, 
even in that, Jesus is there. And I know that for many of us, we expect it to be like a, hey, we're going to sit down and we're just going to focus on Jesus and we're going to drown out the distractions and the irritations and the stress of the world, but it does not matter. Jesus is there anyways. Whether you're completely satisfied and content or whether you're like me and filled with angst and discontent, Jesus is there anyways. And so this season that we're entering into, these next few weeks of Lent, or you can call it whatever you want, it gives us an excuse to stop and to look up. To enter some sort of disruption of a world that is constantly pulling us towards like distraction or production and to just be still and know the lover of our souls. And so Lent will disrupt our routines. It will allow us to rest from some of the entanglements that suffocate us, and I, I don't know what those are for you. Right? I'm not going to sit up here and say, well, I need to stop looking at TikTok. I, man, TikTok's had a rough morning for me this morning. I don't actually ever really look at TikTok. I'm like, yeah, we know. You haven't posted anything in like a year. <laughs> but it allows us to rest from the entanglements that suffocate us and follow the way of Jesus, looking up. Fixing our soul's gaze on Jesus will require that we let go and enter in. And so the the question for this week is really all that you're asking is, is there something I need to let go of? And maybe that's something like really dark and heinous that you need to like let go of. Like it's destroying your soul or it's destroying your marriage or it's destroying your friendships. Like obviously, yes, Jesus is inviting us to let go of those things. But, but maybe it's something silly and small that's just like, a, I don't know, at best a waste of time. Maybe you limit your social media usage to like 5 and 6 p.m. at night. I don't know, like I'm making stuff up. What do you need to let go of? And then maybe more importantly, what do you need to enter into? What are some like life-giving rhythms and practices that you can take up, that you can adopt, that can actually like create a little bit of margin in your life, create a little space for you to look up and see Jesus, even if you're like in this uh, angsty, angry place that you can slow down and have enough awareness to go like, God, where are you in this? And so Lent will help us let go and help us enter in into the practice and, and ways of being with Jesus that can help us be aware of Jesus' presence. So there's a, there's a trap here with Lent um, where we can get into any sort of practice, whether it's letting go and entering in, and we think that the practice itself is somehow like earning us merit badges in heaven. Like, oh, Jesus is super proud of you because you're like not eating lunch, Right? The practices themselves don't necessarily matter. Remember, the end goal is being in the presence of Jesus. And so as we explore these practices over the next several weeks, please don't hear this as some sort of like, well, man, if you're doing this, then you're a really good Christian. And if you're not doing this, then why do you hate God so much? I just need to know, right? That's not what this is. But in that, these practices are not a means to an end. They are the end. 
They are not goals to achieve something or like means to achieve something. They are the thing we're trying to achieve, which is being in the presence of Jesus. Gazing on the face of the lover of our soul. And so this week, I want to give you this really simple practice. Maybe you sit down with a journal, a notebook. Maybe it's your notes app and your phone. Maybe it's just your own thoughts. Maybe it's a whiteboard. I don't care. But carve out some time and space to answer this question. What do you want? And like, start writing stuff down. I don't know. I'm kind of hungry right now. Like, actually, really, like, I'm kind of hungry right now. I want food. What kind of food do you want? Why that food? But then maybe it's more profound. Like, I want to be seen and loved for who I am. I want, right, my relationships to not be broken. I want my body to be healed. What do you want? And then part two of that is what might it look like for you to begin to look up? What might it look like for you to begin to see? Jesus, who is offering us life and life abundant, saying, I've got everything that you're longing for. I really do. What do you want? Just look up. So take some time with a pen or your thoughts and write out some answers to the question. And then what might you be able to let go of? What might you be able to enter into? You don't have to answer those questions right now. We're going to explore them over the next five weeks and talk more specifically about what would it look like to actually do this. But just for this week, begin to think and pray about what it might mean to look up to Jesus in a way that you haven't been. Sound good? Anticlimactic ending. You got homework. Congratulations. All right, let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.